Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right. Welcome in, everybody. Happy Friday. It is on the clock. I am Ben Kenny, Phillies 24-7, and Sports Radio WIP. Um, well, the the Phillies lost. And it is Thursday afternoon. Now what? 48 hours almost? 36 hours? Not a math guy. We're far away from the loss. I still have not totally accepted the fact that the World Series is going to start tomorrow night for me, for those listening tonight, and the Phillies are not in it. Now, if you had told me entering the season, okay, Phil's get to game seven, and they have a chance to win at home to go to the World Series. Yeah, I would I would take that easily. If you had told me, really entering the playoffs, you get NLCS game seven, I'd take that 100%. Didn't care who was on the mound. But... When you give me the context that the Phillies smashed the Braves and acted like they had won their Super Bowl, definitely I looked at as the Super Bowl, as the NLCS de facto. They they crushed the Braves and move on to face an Arizona Diamondbacks team that won, what, 84 games, had a negative run differential, really was thoroughly unimpressive on both sides of the ball. They were, a, they were a good team. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to disparage them this whole show. But when you look across the aisle, they're not a prime 2009 Yankees team. You're not going up against some of the great, like the Astros of last year. You're not going up against the Dodgers even, while they're playoff chokers, like perennial 100-win team. It's the freaking Diamondbacks who can't even fill their pathetic stadium. All right, 
I don't want to rip the Diamondbacks. But the context, let's let's get back on track here. The context of what went on. If you had told me that they entered the series with the Diamondbacks, go up 2-0 in resounding fashion, still, you know, a couple bumps in the road, but they return home up 3-2 with two games in Citizens Bank Park, reportedly, allegedly, this insanely tough place to play. I would have taken all that. And I still would have thought that I'd sit here today and we're previewing the World Series. But I don't want to do the comparison, oh, you know, 2011, 2002. I don't want to directly go into that. But I can say this for sure. I'm 25 years old. Obviously, out of the phase of my life where, you know, you're young, you care a lot more. When they lose, you can't really accept it. Like, I've gained some valuable life perspective. And also working in this industry, I do think a lot about how I'm going to talk about the games, not just about what is my emotional reaction to what happened. But that guard always seems to slip away when it comes to the Phillies and the playoffs. And last year, it didn't take me that long, actually, to accept a loss to the Astros because of how good the Astros were. Like, there is no shame at taking the Astros to six games as a Phillies team last year that was flawed, that was somewhat lucky to be there, and that was riding on this magical wave. It sucked in the moment, and, I mean, yeah, they probably should have won that series, but they didn't, and we moved on, and the team signed Trey Turner, and we entered the season with all this hype. Like, this was the year where it was supposed to happen. You came off Game 6 of the World Series, and you got better. And then throughout the season, there are ups and downs that we've chronicled. There were numerous, like, what, 20 amazing moments that we can look back on. Had the Phillies actually made it to the World Series, I would look back upon all those moments very fondly. But I can't help sitting right now as someone who's supposed to be not fully objective. Like, I, I work in sports talk radio. What, what drew me into this is my fandom and love for the team. And I I sit here today, days removed from the loss, still totally crushed. Like still thinking, and and I was there, still thinking about the feeling in the ballpark and the feeling I had when Stott hit the RBI double to go up 2-1. Or when JT hit the single in the left to make it first and third with one out. Like I keep transporting myself back to that moment. And like almost... Thinking, like, okay, maybe it'll be different this time. Or when Harper comes up with two on in the seventh inning and, I mean, barely misses a pitch that would have been that moment again. Another go-ahead homer to send the Phillies to the World Series. Like, I look at the screenshot of it and I almost expect something different to have happened. So, I am not dealing with this loss well. Everybody does in their different ways. Some people can move on. Some people are really good at still saying... You know, it was a great season. It's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there on this show. But that's not what today's show is going to be. Because that's not, frankly, what I'm feeling today, uh, two days after Game 7. I it just, it just wasn't how that run and this season was supposed to end. Not just losing. Again, losing to the freaking Diamondbacks in embarrassing fashion. Just completely no-showing for the most, the two most important, obviously, games of the season, like two of the most important games of the Phillies franchise, completely no-showing on offense. 
with high high price stars like Castellanos and Turner just forgetting how to hit a baseball. The Diamondbacks played well. Don't get me wrong. And they got back to their whole hit a single, steal second, hit a single, and score. They played well. So I'm not going to say that the Phillies totally handed it to them. But it wasn't as if the Diamondbacks came in and just outslugged them in every way and got super hot. It's like, no, the Phillies had numerous opportunities with their guys up that you want to be there for the opportunities, and they just folded. Like they choked. There's no better way to say it. And the toughest part about it for me right now is, I mean, that was this is easily the most likable team, most likable Phillies team number one of my life, probably next to last year's and then 08. But it is one of the more likable sports teams I've ever seen and ever followed. Speaking as someone who, I mean, I have no life. Like, I watch sports. College, pro, whatever. Like they, the personality, their connection to the city, how you felt like the city was going through the ups and downs with them, and how them as players are letting the fans know throughout all that time how how deep the connection was. So whether, whether it's the Turner ovation or, I mean, go back to Alec Bohm last year, helping him get over the stuff at third base, all that stuff. And then the way they would celebrate, go to Xfinity Live afterwards, like you, you really felt the bond. And top to bottom, like I, we'll get into Craig Kimbrell. I don't like Craig Kimbrell because I've always hated watching him pitch. And I didn't think the Phillies should have signed him. No way in the world should he have been relied upon in that spot. We'll get to it. But top to bottom of this roster, I don't think there's one unlikable person on it. Like, there's no Odubel Herrera who just, like, never hustled, played a terrible center field, seemed to have a bad attitude. I couldn't stand watching Odubel Herrera play baseball. There aren't any of him on this team. Like, top to bottom, it is the most likable team I've ever followed. And I think that plays into what the feeling has been in this town for a couple days. Like, it's just, it's a crushing, crushing loss that, again, speaking as a 25-year-old, that was not, I was four years old for the Rondé Barber game. I was not old enough. I don't remember it. I was not old enough to understand anything at that point. But for people my age and younger, maybe those that are 14 and 15 now, but especially those that are just young enough to not remember Rondé Barber, but clearly coherent during 2011 against the Cardinals. Like, this is the single most crushing loss, Philadelphia sports loss of my life. And it's not close because of all the things I just listed, because of what happened last year and what happened throughout this season and how, I mean, just against the Braves, they they had the best offense in base MLB postseason history for, what, two weeks against the Braves? And then suddenly... In a trip to Arizona, after being up 2-0, it just completely disappears. The approaches disappear. Like, all the bounces went the wrong way. But still, you put it on the high-priced guys, that totally folded. And that, like, it's, it's just crushing. I don't, I don't know a better word to describe it right now. Uh, the, the biggest shame is that, given all of the great that happened, like, fast forward 10 years from now, given all of the amazing things that happened this season and this postseason, unless this team wins a World Series next year or the year after with this same core pretty much, they will be remembered as the group that choked away the NLCS 
to an 84-win Diamondbacks team. And that sucks. They'll be remembered that way nationally, but also here. Like, this is, again, I hear Rondé Barber, Rondé Barber, from all of those that are older than me. This is the series that people my age will tell our children. Like, when did you really, really question the fact that you like sports? Like, when did you think about, you know, I could just move to Vermont, I could go work on a farm, be in the outdoors, and enjoy life? What was the moment in sports that brought you to that thought? Because I've had that thought a couple times this week. I have not had it before. And the answer is going to be uh, game six and seven earlier this week in Philadelphia. So I'm not like I'm not a couple of days removed now. I'm more angry and mad than I was immediately. Like now as the days go by, I'm more pissed off that Craig Kimbrell pitched. I'm more pissed off that Castellanos forgot how to hit all of the little decisions and little moments like freaking Alec Thomas, who's not good and not a power hitter. Like never does that happen in that scenario. Alec Thomas is the Diamondbacks Matt Stairs. That's what he'll be remembered for. Differences. Matt Stairs was like, look at him. That dude just screams, take me off the bench. I'll hit a bomb. Alec Thomas is like a slap hitting center fielder that runs. And somehow we took Kimbrel deep. I'm not mad. I'm not totally at the stage of anger. I'm still just crushed. I, I don't know how long that's going to take to get the... Well, there's still some denial because the World Series hasn't started. And I'm not going to watch it, by the way. I, I always watch the World Series. What just happened has been the first thing to ever draw me to not watch. I don't care who wins. On a, if the Diamondbacks win, I might feel better. But I'm not watching. Um, I'll get to the point of anger. I just, like, disbelief. I'm shocked. I I know Chris Russo is going on his whole thing where, you know, oh, I'm going to retire if the Diamondbacks win. And he comes back and he's a total fraud and he didn't retire. And it's all a publicity stunt. So good for him that he's relying on that right now. Um, But I'm stunned. Like he said, I would be stunned if that happened. Consider me 100%. Totally, totally stunned. So, um, all right, it's it's on the clock. Welcome in. If you uh, if you survive that opening monologue, I mean, I just hope. I, I know everyone copes in different ways, and I was on with Rob Ellis uh, yesterday evening, and I mean, I for many people, hearing Rob go through it all helps. Just hear it talked through and to get the anger out. I know for our callers, that is how they do it. Since I was young, that's always been how I get through it. Some people just tune it out, which I mean. You're probably not listening to this if you do, but if you are, I don't blame you. I don't I don't have the right words really to fully describe what went wrong in the series. I mean, I wrote down notes and I, again, like this is the disbelief that I continue to go through. I mean, the biggest story obviously is the Phillies choking in 6 and 7, but a massive story is just everything going wrong. Everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong after game two, after they won 10 to nothing. The offense totally died. What they, they scored one run in game three. Game four, they scored enough, should have won. We know what happened. Game, game five, they did win, and that was a clinical win. And then you thought everything was okay. You thought, oh, Zach Wheeler just righted the ship. He's amazing. Zach Wheeler, who, by the way, heroic innings in game seven, that should have mattered and we should talk about, but we're not. 
Uh, game six, just uh, the biggest dud in the world. Punched in the face, folded. And game seven, uh, the you scored two runs. You scored three runs at home in, in two games. And the Diamondbacks just ran all over you. And you look like a team that, you look like a tight team that thought they had won the series after two games and thought the Diamondbacks would just roll over and die. The freaking backup catcher, Garrett Stubbs, talking about celebrating in their pool. And then you gave them a reason to believe, which is the biggest problem. I always, we always see this in football, especially college football. Because in the NFL, they're, they're all professionals and they all are there to do their job. And the future of their job is on the line. And you're talking about two somewhat evenly matched teams. In college football, there are point spreads in the 20s and the 25s. And in those games, the point spreads are so big because there is such a clear dividing line between one team and the other. One team is a bunch of five stars, and they're really good. The other team doesn't. The other team is a bunch of three-star athletes that are never going to play professional football. Like they're, they're playing college. They're going to go be bankers and, and work in finance and real estate or whatever. And the worst thing that really good team can ever do in that contest is give the underdog and the opponent a reason to believe. Because if it's 14 to seven entering halftime and you just turn the ball over four times as the good team, like those guys are in at halftime thinking, yo, we could do this as opposed to you're up 24 to nothing at halftime. And then the other team is like, this sucks. They're amazing. Let's just, we'll go out there and we'll try, but we're not winning this game. The Phillies messed up because they were up 2-0 and they got complacent and they thought that the Diamondbacks just wouldn't try and wouldn't battle back. So as soon as you drop game three, as soon as Garrett Stubbs talks, as soon as Rob Thompson uses Craig Kimbrell in the eighth inning in game four, then the Diamondbacks thought that they could win. And I... I don't think Tori Lavulo is a very good manager. Like he, everyone's oh, he made adjustments. It's like, no, they have like eight platoon players on their roster and Lavulo just, just mixed around those guys. And he's like, Tori Lavello using Paven Smith as a pinch hitter and then he gets a single is not him being a great manager. That's a below average hitter somehow coming through in that spot. But Lavello said, um, going back to Philly, that, we're not going back there to get our ass kicked. And that is the exact mentality that team took on. And, I mean, we saw it 100% in how they played. Like, they didn't play tight. They were running finally. And they took advantage of every mistake the Phillies made. So, again, give credit to them as an underdog team that's fighting. But there is no... The, the great dynasties of baseball don't allow teams like the Diamondbacks to even be in the series. They don't give them a shot. Like the Red Sox and Yankees, go back to the early 2000 Yankees. Yeah, they had battles with the Red Sox that were seven games and really tight. Um, actually, you know what? And this is how you could tell I don't edit this show afterwards. I'm not going to use them because the Yankees lost to the Marlins in 03, which kind of counts. But think of some of the more dynastic teams that we've seen. It's like they're not, when they get up and they have a good matchup in the playoffs against a team that, yeah, the Diamondbacks were winning, but the Diamondbacks aren't the 2011 Cardinals. The 2011 Cardinals had Adam Wainwright, Chris Carpenter, Albert Pujols, Yadi Molina, like a list of really good to Hall of Fame players. 
and they just didn't have a great regular season. Then they got in and you're like, oh, damn, this team's good. The 2010 Giants, who also obviously beat the Phillies when Ryan Howard didn't swing the bat on 3-2, they weren't necessarily the most top-of-the-line talented team. But when you saw them play, like Lincecum, Buster Posey, obviously, there's the Cody Ross situation, but you saw them play and you could believe it's like, okay, yeah, that's a, they're playing like a really good team. I still, coming out of that series, don't think that about the Diamondbacks. I don't. I think the Phillies 100% handed it to them. And again, they gave this scrappy bunch of young guys that have no idea how to lose or how to win. They gave them a reason to go out and win, which, I mean, was a colossal mistake. And the problem is you have a manager. And look at this, 19th minute, first mention of Rob Thompson. And we'll talk about him. But you have a manager in Rob Thompson whose calm and steady demeanor works so well throughout the entire regular season and I think works perfectly for a team with veterans and with stars because they don't need a football coach, rah-rah guy, to tell them to try. They know exactly what they have to do to succeed. The problem with Thompson is going into game six and seven, he's not going to come in and start throwing chairs at the wall and yelling and getting the guys excited in that way. That's, that's not how he manages, and that's probably not what the team needed. It's, it's a very star-driven team. So he's not going to do that. Maybe they did need it. Maybe they needed someone to tell them to stop, stop acting like a team that's already won. Because then they took the field, and when Aaron Nola gave up back-to-back homers, and the offense had one of the more future days I've ever seen in my life, maybe they needed just a little jolt or something. I don't know. Um, this sucks. It really does. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. We are uh, a lot to get to. I, I want to play the blame game. Everybody's doing it. I have the six people slash groups that we are blaming on this show in order. And I will elaborate on why I have the order where it is. We'll talk about where the series turned as I have done for the winning series. And here, I mean, illuminating... Uh, a bad series, an embarrassing series, and a depressing one. And I don't know, just I, I have general thoughts on the series I have to get out. And we'll talk about what's next. We will talk about what the offseason looks like, kind of, with a lot more coverage on that to come. So stay right there. It's on the clock. We'll be right back. All right, it's on the clock. We are back. I uh, appreciate you being with us, as always. Leave a review, subscribe, all that stuff. A lot of off-season coverage to come, hopefully. Uh, and at Ben Z. Kenny on Twitter, you could find some of that discussion there as well. So, the Philly season ends. They lose to the Diamondbacks in seven games. Who do you blame? Where's the blame? Because a lot of what I hear is all, oh, Rob Thompson's fault. Let's blame the manager. You know, all the high-priced guys didn't hit, but Thompson did this and that, so blame the manager. Which is easy. And it's what people love to do. There are, like, defensive coordinator, that's always a scapegoat. Offensive coordinator's always a scapegoat. The manager, clearly. The guys, I, I mean, he's at the top, so he should take some blame. And we'll get into what I would actually blame him for. But I always notice that the guys at the top get the blame for when the players, especially the best ones, completely fold and stink when it matters. You could say that, let's go to, I mean, I use college football a lot because 
It's one of my favorite sports to watch. Let's say you are James Franklin that everybody just despises. And he's getting ripped right now because they they went in and they lost to Ohio State. He's terrible against top-ranked teams. But did you go through the game? Like, yeah, it, it's an embarrassment that Nick Singleton and their running backs didn't get the ball. That's the story. I, I doubt you care about Penn State football. But did you go play-by-play? Play? Like, did you see if it was the right play call and that if actually the running back dropped it or if there were things in the game that were objectively the fault of the people that are out there to make the plays. And in college, it's harder. I get it. But listen, like this is baseball. There's a reason that managers make $5 million a year and the top paid athletes on the team make 30. Held Taiwan Walker's making 18 or something. And he stinks. He's below average. Shouldn't say stinks, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy. He's liking tweets, calling out Thompson. I think it's ridiculous. If you had, if you could sit back and think about the one thing the Phillies missed in this series against the Diamondbacks, tell me your answer isn't, oh yeah, I wish Taiwan Walker could have gone out, gave up four runs in the first inning, and then battled through four. So we're only down four to two after four innings. Nobody thinks that. Nobody wishes we saw Taiwan Walker pitch. Except for Taiwan Walker, maybe his immediate family. So that was ridiculous. And that's up on Twitter if you want to find it. But I don't blame Rob Thompson the most out of everybody. We'll get to who I do. I just, I, I'm not a fan of just because the team lost, we hate the manager. He's the guy that makes the decisions. But guess what? The guys out there are the ones that give up the homers and the ones that don't hit the ball when they need to. I tweeted this earlier. But I and, and I, I see Thompson being called a he's not a championship manager. What does that mean? Like you're not a championship manager until you are, until you win one. And even if you do, like we remember Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi is a championship manager because he won. But that's because Derek Jeter, A-Rod, and Hideki Matsui just went nuts and they did their jobs. They were out there and they won. Congrats to Joe Girardi, I would argue, for riding on the coattails of a really talented team. Now, that's what you would have said about Thompson. That's the thing. You would have said that about Thompson if the Phillies had won. Oh, Harper's coattails. Now that they lost, it's his fault. Yet Harper didn't get a hit in game six and seven. Neither did some of these other guys, which we'll touch on. I have six groups or six people. Number six is everybody else. And then we'll get into those that I truly place blame on. I say everybody else because I think game six and seven were full team losses. Like game six, yeah, Aaron Nola gave up three runs in the second and battled through, what, four innings? The team also scored one run. The offense totally disappeared. And there was no juice in the ballpark because every time, like Michael Lorenzen is out there getting outs. Michael Lorenzen is getting double play balls to end innings we never thought we'd see Lorenzen out there. And he is helping out the team. And everybody's excited he's getting through innings. The offense will come back up. And they'll all strike out on three pitches. Like the offense died. Game six, team loss. Game seven, that's a team loss. Ranger gave up a couple of runs. He wasn't at his best. Alvarado, I think, gave up an inherited runner. Or maybe it was earned. And the offense scored two runs. They had... 
plenty of opportunity. They're facing a rookie. Again, a rookie with a 5-7 during the regular season is who they're facing in their building with the crowd behind him. And then the entire, I think the Diamondbacks bullpen in game six and seven held the Phillies to four of 30, which I don't have the, uh, I'll get it. That's, that's a 133 batting average. So I blame every, everybody deserves blame. Nobody is above blame except one person. And that's Zach Wheeler who had again, heroic innings late in game seven and pitched two great games in games one and five. No blame goes to Zach Wheeler, but everybody else. Plus Garrett Stubbs, who needed to shut up about the pool. It was stupid. It still is stupid. And it sucks because I like him. But I will always remember him as the guy that talked about celebrating in the pool when the series completely went the other way and the Phillies lost. Number five. Let's go five through one. Fifth most blame, Dave Dombrowski. It is glaring when Tommy Pham hits a homer in game six and is a big part of their team. And Paul Seawald, their freaking closer. Both of them are deadline acquisitions. Seawald was unhittable for some reason, even though he throws 93 down the middle. And they were two reasons that the Diamondbacks are playing in the World Series. The Phillies deadline included Michael Lorenzen, who wasn't pitchable for the last month of the season, and Rodolfo Castro, who wasn't even with the team. They sent Rodolfo Castro down to Clearwater to, quote, get ready even though they were going to bring Hoskins up. Like, that was a failure of a trade deadline. And everybody gets on Rob Thompson for using Kimbrell in game four. And while Thompson is on this list, he's next, and we'll talk about Kimbrell. Part of the reason that Thompson had to use Kimbrell is that there just weren't enough reliable arms in the bullpen. They went into the deadline looking for one, and they thought they got it in Lorenzen. And then his arm just completely fell apart. And I wonder who could have seen that coming. The guy already had his most career innings when they signed for him or traded. So Dave Dombrowski's number five. Paired that, this team had no reliable bench bat. Everyone talks about the Rojas decision in the fourth inning with two outs and the bases loaded. Okay, put in Jake Cave. And then they bring in a lefty. Then you put in Christian Pache. Is it that different? This team did not have a reliable bench bat that could come through in those spots. Like you need pinch hitters. They don't play a lot, but you need somebody, a special trick late in the game to put in, get a good matchup, and get a hit off a guy. And Thompson didn't have that luxury. So I blame Dabrowski. I don't think the roster was well managed at the deadline. I, I thought clearly more should have been done. Number four on this list is who everyone wants to point at. It is Rob Thompson. He is not without blame because the team did lose, and he was the one that made a call to the bullpen in the eighth inning of game four and brought in Craig Kimbrell, which is one of the more indefensible manager moves I have ever seen, ever. There are not many moments where us as fans are sitting on our couch or sitting at a bar, a couple beers deep, yelling at our TV, you know, oh, take him out. Or why don't you bring in this guy? Usually we're wrong. Usually we're just idiots that... And I don't mean to use the word idiots. Usually we are ill-informed and don't know what we're talking about. I bet you every single person in the Delaware Valley, when they saw Craig Kimbrell coming in and they had an overwhelming sense of dread and they knew exactly what was going to happen, like a train was on the tracks about to hit him. They knew what was going to happen. 
And then it did happen. Like, we were all right for reacting that way. Because he looked terrible in game three when he gave up the walk-off. He is always bad pitching back-to-back days. He has not been an effective pitcher for a month and a half. He shouldn't have even been on the playoff roster. And even so, use him in the third or the fourth, anywhere, anywhere, except the eighth inning with the game and what turned out to be the series on the line. He got crushed. His velocity was down. He was throwing meatballs. He's doing his stupid arm thing, and the, and the pitch clock is running down. That was one of the more infuriating and just like deeply depressing innings I've ever watched because we knew it was going to come, and it did. So I blame Rob Thompson for putting him in, for going to him. Now, the issue is, who else would he have gone to? I would not have trusted Lorenzen. I clearly would not have trusted Walker. The issue lies in the third inning when he took out Chris Sanchez with Christian Walker coming up and a man on first. I would have stuck with Sanchez. Even though Sanchez was an idiot and forgot how many outs there were and was didn't seem to be in the game that much, even though his stuff was okay, changeup wasn't working, I would have stuck with Sanchez because I would have rather him maybe given up another run and then it's the fourth or the fifth inning. You get to the bullpen and you as a manager know, okay, I have enough guys where I don't have to use Kimbrell. And, and even if we have a two-run deficit or a three-run deficit, I have to trust my offense to bring us back. Because if the Phillies are going to lose 3-1, to one, it's the offense's fault. Like It's not the starting pitcher for giving up three runs. It's an offensive team. That's where the money is. That's where the stars are. So taking out Chris Sanchez, he managed his way into having to use Kimbrell. And we thought a 5-2 lead would be enough, 5-3. It wasn't. So that's what I blame Thompson for. I don't blame him for not pinching for Rojas. I thought his thought process was right. And when we talk about, actually, I'll talk about the fourth inning of that game in a second. The third most blame from the series goes to one Trey Turner. And you're going to sense a theme here for the next couple guys. Trey Turner, right now, and listen, I, I like the guy. I don't mean to rip him. This is more like when we objectively talk about who is this series on for losing Trey Turner's a $300 million player who, in Game 7, couldn't move a runner over to third, who was flailing at, at balls that his approach just left, completely left. He was hitting 500, I think, through the Braves series, and then we turn around after this, and he was 0 for uh, maybe at one hit. But he definitely, him, Harper, Castellanos, combined 0 for 23 in Game 6 and 7. And he comes up in a lot of big spots. Schwarber gets on second base. Schwarber gets on first. They were first and third in the seventh. Turner just had the most lame pop-up I've ever seen. Like He disappeared completely. I thought his body language out at shortstop was pretty bad as well. The Phillies looked like a team that knew they were going to lose, which usually is not them. Usually they're the ones having the big moment late to come back in games. So Turner's number three. Turner's number three. Number two. And, I, I mean, really he should be one. But number one's going to be clear. Number two is Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos homered off of Zach Gallen in game one of the series. He then went on, get this, to go 0 for 23 with 11 strikeouts the rest of the way. 0 for 23. 
He did not get a hit after game one. And he, like like Turner, he got Stott and, and JT and Bohm ahead of him. He came up in big spots. And he got addicted to the feeling that he got against the Braves twice. When the Braves went up one nothing. Castellanos comes up. He hits a solo homer to tie it. He got addicted to that feeling. And he thought that it would just come to him easily. And that it will just return. And, I mean... His at-bats were were an embarrassment. His at-bats were terrible. And especially the one, this brings up the fourth inning. He comes up, and this is after Stott hit an RBI double. Game seven, fourth inning. Phils are up two to one. JT hits a single. Stott's held a third. First and third, one out. Even a sack fly here. Phils lead three to one. That game looks different. But no. Nick Castellano strikes out on four pitches. Swings at. A sweeper down and away in the dirt. Last year's Nick Castellanos came back. And maybe worse. It might have been worse than what last year's playoffs looked like for him. It was like that's the biggest spot. When you talk about why did they lose game seven? Because Nick Castellanos could not do a job when he was at the plate. And then Marsh comes up. Obviously, they walk Marsh. Marsh is like the one player who showed up offensively. And Rojas is lost. Everybody hates Thompson for still putting Rojas in the lineup and batting him ninth. It's fine. If you saw the plays he's making in center field, that is fine. It is not on a 23-year-old kid that can barely hit to come through as much as it is Nick Castellanos, who has been there, who makes all the money, who was the guy during the regular season. He just disappeared completely. And one or two more moments with him at the plate with the bat in his hands and the Phillies are playing in the World Series. And they are not largely because of his disappearance. So Nick Castellanos is number two. Number one, and I will add a, add a comma at the end of this. Number one is Craig Kimbrell. I will tell my grandkids a lot about this series as they hopefully become Philly sports fans. I don't know in what year, whatever year. I'm going to tell my grandkids about Craig Kimbrell. They're going to ask, oh, you know, you're you're a very jaded human being. You seem to have gone through a lot of pain and suffering in your younger years. I was like, yep. You know why, kids? Because Craig Kimbrell can't get outs. That's why. Game three, Diamondbacks walk it off. Game four, all, all they need, give me one inning and one run. That's fine. Give me to the ninth inning with a one-run lead, and maybe we'll hold on to it. Kimbrell gives up three where he gives up two, and then Alvarado gave up an inherited one. And game four is flipped. And then the rest of the series went as so. And I'll blame the Phillies for this. This is the comma. Kimbrell came in early in the game in game six when the Phillies were down four to one or five to one. And they played his intro with the music, with the lights. That's embarrassing. That's what the Mets did with Edwin Diaz last year, and we all ripped him for it. Because Edwin Diaz was coming in a game where the Mets were down like 7-1, to one, bases loaded, no outs in the eighth, gave up three more runs, and the Mets were losing. Like, that's the end of the season. He's not saving a game. Craig Kimbrell walks in. It's like a funeral. It's like, this guy's coming in the game and you're playing the freaking song? It's Jim Rome's intro song, and it is the song that I will ever, forever relate to the Phillies blowing this series. So... Greg Kimbrell, number one, uh, blame. So there you go. 
Dombrowski, Thompson, Turner, Castellanos, Kimbrell, in order. I don't blame Bryce Harper. I know that that he went over in six and seven. He hit balls hard. Like Bryce Harper not coming through in that spot is baseball. He got a good pitch. He put a bat on it. It's like an inch away from it going deep. That stuff is such a minuscule margin of fly out versus three run home run. I don't blame Bryce Harper. He did all he could. I think. I blame a lot of the high priced guys around him. I blame somewhat the manager. I blame the guy who didn't do enough at the deadline. So there you go. Kimbrell will be used as the scapegoat. I, I think this is the best way to say it. Craig Kimbrell's the scapegoat. Maybe Thompson is too. But the reason the Phillies lost this series is because Castellanos, Harper, and Turner combined to go 0 for 23 in game six and seven. Like, that's it. That's the series right there. Those guys didn't come through. So, what else went wrong while we're still here? Um, I don't even I don't even want to do all this. The Phillies did go 2 of 17 with runners in scoring position the last two games. One of those hits didn't even score a run. Um, the Diamondbacks, 21 hits in the last two games. The Phillies, 11. They were like all singles. Then they started running. Nobody, nobody on the Phillies can hold a runner on. What's up with this? Ranger Suarez is a lefty, and they're still running off him. That's bad. That's fundamental problems. Fundamental problems did cost this team. They have to be added. They can't hold runners on. They can't move runners. When they aren't hitting home runs, they aren't scoring. And it happened to them in the World Series last year against great pitching, which is a big part of it. It happened to them in this series against average pitching, which is so puzzling. It's just they're not going deep. So that's it. We're screwed. So we'll talk about what's next. I mean, it, it would be nice if they can get some generationally great contact hitters here. I also just think it's an emphasis thing. And this team, I'm scared this team is going to start playing tight when it matters. Because that's what they did. That's what they've done. That's what's cost them in the last two postseasons. I don't know what there's going to be to reverse that. So, I don't know. The mystique of Citizens Bank Park, though, goodbye. It's gone. It is gone. Game six and seven altered the mystique of Citizens Bank Park probably forever. So, there you go. It's on the clock. I need to take a break. We will return. We will talk about what's next. What's to come this offseason. And I, I'm not going to preview the World Series. Like, I don't care. So, we'll come back. It's on the clock. All right, welcome back. It is on the clock as we wrap a bow on the Phillies 2023 season. At Benzie Kenny on Twitter, you can reach out to me there. The last people to reach out were angry Braves fans that thought, well, I started calling A.J. Minter, Jesse Minter, going into that series. And then I, I actually applauded the work of Jesse Minter, him being Michigan's defensive coordinator. Maybe these days, uh, less applause is needed because they might have known every play that was coming. And if you're living under a rock or not part of the college football world, go look into the story because it's amazing. I, I wish I could do an hour podcast on on the ethics of Michigan football and the rise and fall or potential fall of Jim Harbaugh. But no, we're talking about what is next. What is next for the Philadelphia Phillies? So we move forward and both Reese Hoskins and Aaron Nola are free agents. And they both spoke after the game and said they want to stay. Nola in his classic, very brief, not going to not gonna get much from him. 
But he said it, and Hoskins was a little more elaborate and expressed that as well. Clearly, the more likely player to be re-signed is Aaron Nola. Reese Hoskins, I I don't know where he fits right now because I think Harper's the long-term first baseman. Castellanos will be in center for a couple, or right field for a couple more years. I like the Rojas-Pache center field duo. And I think the, everybody's talking about Rojas like he'll never learn how to hit. The guy's 23. So, like we saw Bryson Stott last year. He could hit. Couldn't hit a fastball, though. Johan Rojas is very young in his development. And the defense is there. So I love the duo of him and Pache. Or Pache is a utility outfielder. And I really like Brandon Marsh in left. So I don't know where he fits. He would ha- Hoskins would have to play first. Then Harper would go to one of the corner outfield spots. I don't like Hoskins at first. And while I think his bat would have been, like you put his bat in his lineup, they probably win the World Series. I just don't know where it fits. Because Schwarber's still here and he's the DH. Nola, on the other hand, you know my thoughts on Aaron Nola. They need to re-sign him. Unless you can give me an alternative that makes more sense and probably saves the money. Which there's... Spoiler, there's not going to be any. Like, this guy perfectly fits what you need on this team. Zach Wheeler is the ace. He showed it again in the playoffs why. You need a guy, a a reliable number two, that'll pitch every five days, pitch well, and then come playoff time, you can count on him to come through. And I think this playoffs, he showed that you could do that. So, he had the worst season of his career this year. I don't think that's going to be replicated. He's made good adjustments. Seriously, this guy is one of the more valuable pitchers in baseball. And his contract is going to show you that. He's going to make a lot of money. The Phillies have to re-sign him. You can't go into next year with Ranger as your two. Taiwan Walker cannot be your three. And it'll kill your bullpen if that happens. Bullpen's throwing more innings. More guys get hurt. And then come playoff time, you're screwed. Now, if you say Blake Snell as a alternative, okay, awesome. I like Blake Snell. He might win Cy Young. He gets a lot of guys out. He also doesn't pitch as many innings as Aaron Nola. And I really, when we talk about what this team needs to achieve, the answer is a World Series. To do that, you have to be well positioned going into the playoffs, which two years in a row, they have been. And a big reason for that is because they have a pitcher in Nola that'll give you 235 innings and keep you in a lot of games. And some starts, he'll go out and just win them for you. But if you put Blake Snell, who throws, like Blake Snell might give you five innings to start instead of six. That's one more inning times however many that you have to use your pen. They need to sign Aaron Ola. And I don't really know what they're doing if they don't. I don't, like, it's not my money. And they're going to spend it on somebody. Like, they're getting a couple guys off the books. So Nola has to be the priority. And then after that, I mean, I know Mike Trout's being thrown around and... We'll talk about it. Spoiler alert, I'm out. Way too injured. Aside from that, I need great bench production. I need to look at the roster and look at the bench and say, okay, I could trust those guys in big spots. And that might happen during the year next year, which is fine. They cannot go into the playoffs again with the bench they just had. Like those guys, Jake Cave seems like a good guy, he's a liability when it comes to actually relying on him to come through late in a big game. Rodolfo Castro was a terrible trade. 
unless he becomes, you know, the second coming of the best utility infielder ever. I, I don't know how he's helping the team. And then um, we need a big bullpen piece. We need another bullpen piece. The Craig Kimbrell role, which is starter, a lot of high leverage stuff. He's gone, thankfully. It's not going to be him. I I need a big lockdown bullpen arm. I love the bones of what the bullpen is with Alvarado, Sir Anthony. They'll re-sign Hoffman probably or um, early arbitration. And Kirkering is a cool young player. I need another. I need another badly. All right, it's on the clock. I will close it out coming up next. All right, on the clock for the final time technically during the season. Coming up uh, next Friday at the time you always listen to the show, I'll do a big off-season preview. I'll lay out the moves I would make. I will, I mean, an ideal off-season. We'll just take a snapshot of the team, talk about whether this season has been a success. Today was a lot of reflection on what's gone on this week, how the emotions have evolved as the days have gone by, and trying to come to an understanding as to what the hell happened because I still don't really know, and I don't know when I will. So there you go. We will talk Phillies offseason. We'll talk about the season coming up next week. If you're going to watch baseball, power to you. I'm not. I, I hope the Rangers win. I like the Rangers story. I hate this Diamondbacks team. All the people older than me, when they see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers logo, they think about Rondé Barber. Whenever I see Chase Field, maybe the state of Arizona, but especially the logo and the guys on this Diamondbacks team, I'll think of Tuesday night. I'll think of game seven. So on that note, awesome. I will uh, talk to you guys next week. See ya. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.